Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. There are a number of reasons why I don't think I would make it long as a businessman. And among them is I don't seem to anticipate consumer needs all that well. There are many trends that come that just really catch me by surprise. I never would have anticipated. Uh, One major industry that seemingly sprung up out of nowhere and caught me entirely by surprise is bottled water. Bottled water. Did you know that it is anticipated that bottled water will make a revenue of some $94 billion in the United States alone in 2023. Now, I realize that many of you in this room have always known a world in which you can go to a gas station and buy water from the Alps or from glaciers or fizzy water or water with vitamins or water with flavor or low-calorie water. I made that one up. All down the line. But others of us can remember a time when there weren't really all those options at our beck and call. Had you told me 20 years ago that I should go into a gas station and buy a bottle of water, I would have thought you were nuts. I could have simply gone to a spigot or a garden hose and got it just fine. Thank you. But it's as if all of a sudden we as a culture realize we're really thirsty. And we'd better do something about it and quick. Most of us know what it's like to be thirsty, though, don't we? It's something we all have experienced as humans to some degree or another. I still hearken back to my high school wrestling team in those days when in order to make a given weight class, I'd have to significantly limit my water intake. And you can take a drink, yes, that's fine. It may, you may get thirsty during the sermon, that's fine. But the days before a match, I would drink as, as little as possible. Terribly unhealthy, especially when you're in the midst of intense hot practices. But I can remember vividly my senior year and walking past that shiny water fountain in the school hallway, desperately wanting a drink, and in my weak moments, just putting my lips down and getting just a little bit there to, to quench or walking home after practice, daydreaming of the big, cold Gatorade that awaited me right after weigh-ins. It was a miserable season. I spent so much time intensely thirsty. Our bodies were created and designed out of dust, yes, but also with a need for water. There are a number of powerful themes in our beautiful gospel passage for today, But the one I'd really like to hone in on as I exposit this passage is a theme of thirst and water and quenching. Water is very frequently mentioned in the scriptures and it all kind of made sense to me the first time I went to Israel and and I encountered an arid desert landscape that to this day, water remains the most precious commodity in that area of the world. And, and so I don't suppose it should surprise us that water plays so big a role, but, 
But the biblical writers used familiar concepts of thirst and water and quenching to illustrate a much deeper human need. A need that reaches into every heart and soul. A need that is often suppressed, but drives us in bewildering ways. A need that much current thought has tried to convince us is not really there or can be quenched in any number of ways. But the psalmist expressed it well. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We'll come back to this. As our gospel passage opens, we learn that Jesus has come to the outskirts of a city in Samaria. Looking a few verses earlier, you would learn that Jesus had left Judea behind, heading up for Galilee, approximately 60 miles to the north, uh, several days' walk. John, in verse 4, when our passage picks up, writes, And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, this is most curious. Because though Samaria was in the middle of Judea and Galilee, and offered the shortest, most direct route, most Jewish travelers preferred to take the mountainous roundabout to reach either their northern or southern destination. And the reason for this is because, you see, there was much animosity between the Jews and the people of Samaria, the Samaritans. I'm not going to go into the long, complicated history, but to suffice it to say, there was much disdain, Bitterness between the two groups and and sometimes war. I mean, the irony is that they were very closely related, and yet they became bitter enemies. But Jesus had to pass through Samaria, John tells us. Not because he was in a hurry, mind you. After a long, likely hot journey on dusty paths, Jesus and his disciples arrive at the well, Jacob's well, outside of the city of Sychar. They're in the very heart of Samaria. They're in enemy territory, if you will. It's noon. The sun's beating down. And a thirsty, weary Jesus sits beside the well. The disciples are sent into town. And he's alone. Though not for long. He had to pass through Samaria. A woman from the nearby town comes to draw water from the well, carrying a large jar. Let me ask you, if you had to do the tedious chore of drawing water from a deep well to fill a heavy jar to carry it back to your house, would you do it during the hottest part of the day? Neither would I. In fact, the time when women would customarily perform this daily task was during the cooler evening or the early evening. It's the type of chore that people might do together. You know, catch up, fellowship, maybe dish a little town gossip on the side, make the time go a little quicker. But this woman comes to draw water during the hottest part of the day. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that she was socially outcast. I don't think I'm stretching the boundaries too far. And if we're given eyes to see, we will notice that such outsiders are 
at your school, they're at your workplace, they're in your neighborhood. Sometimes we may even feel that we fit the bill ourselves. Where do we fit? I'd rather just go get the water during the hot part of the day than have to deal with some others. Now, to this point in the story that Jesus does a most unexpected thing. He asks her for a drink of water. You might think, now that seems totally logical, expected to us. He's thirsty, he wants a drink, he has nothing to get water with. But you see that the request, and some of you may know this, was, was highly unusual for a number of reasons. One, as I mentioned, uh, Jews did not speak with Samaritans. Two, men did not speak with women, especially alone. And that's still the case in much of the Middle East. A man does not speak to a woman, especially alone. Three, if Jesus had gotten a drink from the woman and had he used her vessels drinking cup, whatever it may be, that in the eyes of many would have made him ceremonially unclean, defiled, impure, that he would use a a cup from a Samaritan woman. And so you see that the, the seemingly simple request is more than a bit scandalous. But uh, I, I love how one commentator put it. When he makes this request, Jesus is leaping over all sorts of barriers that we as humans tend to erect. I went to Cleveland this past week, and that was a bit of a leap of a barrier for me I have, as, a, as a Steeler fan, but I had a wonderful time. But that just, that's pale. It, it, it's pittance compared to the barriers Jesus is leaping here that I want you to see. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. He's leaping over barriers of race and gender and religion. And she sees that he's doing this. And he's, because she says, how, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. Living water. Water that's moving, fresh, clean, opposed to standing stagnant pooled water. It's the kind of water that advertisers show you on commercials as they try to get you to buy their bottled water. Living water is prized then it is now. If you knew, she doesn't know. I was contemplating all of this as I listened to Mozart's Requiem at the Cleveland Orchestra the other evening. Mozart, 1,700 plus years later, writing this glorious piece, praising the judge and the king and the savior. And all of that glorious piece, just a shadow of, of the glories of the company of heaven singing from all eternity to him. And and then here he is, this one, in front of an ordinary woman at an ordinary well, going about an ordinary chore. 
And she has no idea that he's the one who can make water flow out of a rock in the middle of the wilderness. And he condescends to ask her for a drink. It's shocking. But he intends for her to find out who he is. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well's deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. My friends, this season of Lent and this passage invites an invasive question. What kind of water are you drinking? Obviously, I don't mean the Fiji water or liquid death uh, or, or whatever's coming from the Grove City water plant. <laughs> what kind of water are you drinking to hydrate and replenish your soul? For we live in an arid, parched land. And there are pools of stagnant, salty waters all around beckoning us to come and drink. Many of them appear to temporarily quench the thirst, but leave us as thirstier than before. Large, flashing neon signs point to pools. You know, you know the pools. If you had this, you would be satiated. If but my house were a little larger, if but I had a bit more money in the bank account, I wouldn't worry so much. If people gave me a little more respect, then I would get my due. Just one more website. One more click. That's all I need. One more drink, one more sip from the bottle, and the things kind of go away. If I just had this relationship, then I'd be full. If I had this item, if this next purchase, this will do it. There's just a few at which we might find ourselves taking deep drafts. Yet they don't satisfy, do they? We get them and there's just the next one. What, my friends, are you drinking? Yet there's one person who leaps barriers come to you, to me. He's able to provide the deepest refreshment. He is the one who can quench the very deepest thirsts of the human soul, even up until eternal life. I trust he's here this evening. He was there with that Samaritan woman at the well. And again, she doesn't fully comprehend the offer that he extends to her, but but she's at least intrigued with the prospect of not having to come dry water during this shameful part of the day. And, and so she says at least, at least, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor have to come here to draw water. I, I think she's probably thinking of the first kitchen sink with indoor plumbing. But Jesus is offering to quench a thirst of which physical thirst uh, and water is just a signpost. 
Jesus wants to satisfy a need that has been part of our makeup ever since Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and were cast out of the plush garden. To paraphrase Augustine, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our souls are thirsty until they are quenched by you. C.S. Lewis writes of the the deep human longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off. To be on the inside of a door which we have always seen from the outside. It's, It's the thirst to be reconciled, forgiven by our Creator. It's the thirst to be known and to know God. That's the thirst Jesus wants to quench in the Samaritan woman. She's part of the reason he had to come to Samaria. That's why he had to come into the world. For God so loved the world, as we heard last week, he gave his only begotten Son that all that believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the love that encounters the woman by the well that day. And so she says, Sir, give me some of this living water. Now here the conversation takes a surprising turn. uh, Because I want you to see that the living water that Jesus offers brings cleansing. The water he offers cleanses. Jesus tells her, go call your husband. Now we'll begin to discover the reason for the woman's shame and her ostracism from the town. And as much as we thirst for relationship with God, and we do, the idea of being known by Him can be downright terrifying at times. For like the water unleashed by Hercules in the Aegean stables, the cleansing water of Jesus may flow into areas of our life which we really would prefer no one know about and just close that door off. The woman really doesn't want to deal with it. She replies, I have no husband. Shut the door. Keep the water out of that room. But Jesus knows the woman. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. Our innermost thoughts our dreams, our fears, our needs, the things we've done right, the things we've done wrong. You know, he even knows the things that may have made it a little bit difficult for you to want to come to church this evening. And he knows from the foul pools that this woman has drunk. And he says it to her. You're right in saying you have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. I don't know. We're not told the circumstances of why she's had five husbands. We're not told the circumstances of why she's living in an adulterous relationship now. If I were to guess, it's probably some kind of complicated mixture of the, of the sin that infects us all. Some of it on her, some of it on others. Don't know. We're not giving the details. But it's all out on the table. He knows. And it's akin to the prayer that we prayed at the beginning of this service, the colic of purity. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, 
and from whom no secrets are hid. He, he sees it all. Five husbands. Adulterous relationship now to boot. You can imagine what the people in the town thought of her. You can imagine what conversations around that well the woman might have had concerning her. Now it's easier to see why she came at noon to get the water. Uh, but I'm blown away by the patient tenderness and the gracious love of Jesus toward a broken, thirsty sinner. Oh, how patient, how gentle he is. He loves her. He loves you. He loves her enough that he had to pass through Samaria. More than that, he loves her enough that he had to go to the cross to suffer an agonizing death, to make there a full, perfect, sufficient sacrifice for her sins and for yours. And the irony is not lost on me that he who offers living water cried out from the cross, I thirst. As he took on all the dehydration and the withering that we deserve. While we were yet sinners. While we were yet drinking drafts from salty, stagnant pools of water. Christ died for us. You know this woman was one of the very first to know Jesus' identity. Of all he chose to reveal himself, she was among the very first. He reveals himself as the Messiah, the long-expected one who the prophets said would bring springs of water into the desert flowing from Jerusalem. And no sooner has he done this than the, the disciples return. They are amazed. They're marveled. They're filled with wonder. They're talking to a woman. I wonder what they would have thought if they'd known her past. What follows is amazing. For we see the effect of this encounter. She left her water jar. I don't know if Jesus ever got a drink that well. I mean, I imagine someone gave him something. But she left it. She went away into town. She found people. And she said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. He knows me. Can this be the Christ? Is it him? Did he just speak with me? She had come seeking physical water. She had received a taste of living water. And look at the stark contrast from the beginning. The woman's alone, separated, ostracized. But by the end of her encounter with the living Lord, she goes into town reaching others. It's the effect of new life and, and reconciliation with God. It's what He does when He gives us living water. Would she be the woman you would choose to evangelize an entire town? Probably not, but God did. The Samaritans begin to go out. They begin to go towards Jesus because of what she said. And we're told at the end of the passage, many believed because of her testimony and invited him to stay with them. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And so notice the last verse. They said to the woman, it's, it's no longer because of your words that we believe, for we've heard it ourselves. And we know indeed that this is the Savior of the world. 
My friends, you might begin your journey of faith through hearing that others have found cleansing and true satiation by drinking the water that Jesus offers. But each of us needs to come to him and drink of it ourselves. We live in an arid desert land among a thirsty people. There are stagnant, salty pools all around inviting us, come and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink some more, but never quenching. But in the middle of it all, Jesus leaps all barriers and he comes to us and he calls out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he invites us this evening. So he invites you. And as you come to him, he places his spirit into our hearts of rock. And then the miracle happens. Our rocky hearts bubble up a water that cleanses us through the cross of Christ. And bubbling up comes a refreshing water that reminds us that we are known in every way by him. Our needs, our fears, our hopes. And in the midst of it all, he loves us with a patient tenderness. And a water that sends us out with God's love to tell a dehydrated world where true quenching water is to be found. May you come to him this evening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. They took your life, they could not take your